Welcome to TPQ20, where we go beyond the page with poets about passions, process, pitfalls, and poetry. I'm Courtney Marklin. And I'm Chris Marklin. Let's expand the conversation. Thank you so much for joining today. Uh, I yeah, appreciate thank you for doing it. This. this is awesome. If you were to kind of give an elevator pitch of who you are, um, who are you? Who I am as a human or like what my book is, Elevator Oh pitch. man, who you are as, uh, as a poet and person. Um, as a person, I, so I just finished um, grad school. I just got my master's in composition. Um, and one of the biggest things I learned there were there, was actually not part of the literary world, but it was all about actually how you treat people instead. Um, I was working with college freshmen and teaching them. Uh, and we were, were asked to come up with, if we could name our pedagogy, if we could name the way we teach, what would it be? Oh, I like that. Um, and I chose pedagogy of kindness. And so I try and like lead that way in not just my classrooms, but in my life, I think. Um, so who I am as a person, I try and look at everyone and start kindness first and judgment way later. Like there's always a reason that somebody is acting the way they are or saying the things they're saying usually. So um, I, in my personal life, I just moved to Denver, Colorado which is actually where I'm, I was born and where most of my family still lives. So after my time at the University of Nebraska, I'm back here. Um, I have two dogs, a cat and a fish. <laughs> uh, an Australian shepherd, a dachshund. Uh, and then cats are just cats. <laughs> but I'm working remotely now and so I got a fish to sit on my desk next to me and I just refer to him as my coworker. like oh, I'm gonna have lunch with my coworker. That's, my fish. that's amazing <laughs> well let's go ahead and jump right in uh what do you think uh what are your passions when it comes to the world of poetry so right now and probably forever I am in literature the most passionate about YA about young adult literature um especially when we get into like magical realism or fantasy or things like that and a big reason for that is accessibility um how do we make the largest group of people see themselves and YA literature really does that in a way that I don't think adult fiction has figured out yet um yes I, I agree with that <laughs> When I when I wrote my book, actually, I was thinking not of what will my book look like in adults' hands, but what would this book look like in a 16-year-old girl's hands? Like, yes. when would this mean the most to somebody and how do I convey that? Um, not that adults don't need poems, of course, but right. yeah, I couldn't help but think of myself as a young adult and um especially after spending so much time in grad school classrooms where everybody yeah. talks about poetry as like this academic thing that you have to think of the reader and the reader is some like highly educated person sitting in the classroom somewhere. Uh, and I kept coming back to the genre I felt the safest in and the genre that I liked the most. And that was always YA literature. And so that's how I wrote my book is I didn't want it to be in the hands of somebody. I, I mean, sure, it's going to end up in the hands of somebody in a grad school somewhere, but 
it's more important to me that it ends up in the hands of like a 15 year old who really needs it. Um, I love that. That's a really, it's, it's a really unique approach to come at it thinking of who's going to, who is it going to be in the hands of and how can you affect them? Yeah. And honestly, they're the people who are going to appreciate it the most. They're the people who are going to love it and memorize it and take it to heart. And like, you know, there's a reviewer in a college somewhere who's going to read it and then like put it back on a shelf and like maybe say something mean about it. But <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's what I, that's what's really important to me. And that's also like the books that I always return to anyway. Um, and YA fiction has often been on the forefront of boundary breaking yes. and of genre bending in a way that adult fiction just you know, doesn't, so. Do you, have a, do you have a couple current favorite YA books that we could recommend? Oh, current favorite, oh man. Um, when We Were Magic. Ooh. Um, it's a magical realism book. Okay. I don't know the author off the top of my head. It's all right. We can definitely figure that okay. one. <laughs> when We Were Magic is awesome. Um, honestly, the the series that I return to the most, and this is what I'm talking about with like the books that we reread are often mm -hmm. our YA favorites. I reread the Aragon series all the time. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> like constantly. Um, in the Inkheart series, the Inkheart series really taught me how to think about books and it was, hmm. it's meant for children. It's not even a YA book, it's a children's book. Um, but it does the cool thing that a lot of YA novels do where they don't minimize their audience. They just like talk yes. to people. Um, so the Inkheart series is also something I'd return to for. Awesome, I'll have to check that one out. I don't know that one. I'll definitely have to look at that one. Um, what is your process? When it comes to writing are there superstitions are there rituals oh, uh, or are you the uh, the nine to fiver because you know you were the academic at one point now uh i wish i was better at having a process um i like <laughs> one of the poets i look up to most in this world is stacy Waite. she blurbed the back of my book actually um and she has like a set time every week she sits down and she writes nobody bothers her during that time and <laughs> um I know if I tried to do that, that would be like two hours a week where my mind is completely oh. empty. Like there'd be nothing. <laughs> yes. Um, usually my process is something will strike in the moment right before I fall asleep. Um, that is the time that I am not overthinking things. That's the time okay. when my brain is just like floating around. Um, Sometimes it will strike in a way where like I roll over and make a Siri note on my phone. Um, and sometimes I have to get out of bed and I have to write things. There's like three different poems and afterwards where I wrote them back to back to back because I like woke up and had to do this thing. Um, I think the most stereotypical part of my process is that for two days after I write a poem, I think it's like the most brilliant thing ever written. And then after that 48 hour window, it's, it's garbage and I never wanna see it again. <laughs> but like, there's like the moment where you're like, I've done it. <laughs> and then after that, I don't wanna look at it ever again. <laughs> how, long does, how long does it take you to go back to it then? I actually try and get my editing done in that window while I cool. still like that poem. <laughs> <laughs> so I do know that about myself where it's like, <laughs> uh 
but afterwards was actually it challenged a lot of that process because when you're putting together a full-length book you have to go through everything you've ever written yeah um and I was fortunate to have a really brilliant editor um Safia Alhilo was my was my editor he just wrote okay. country yeah <laughs> Uh, just like not, one a, the, not a bad option one of the best living poets in the world um and right. so she was extremely kind where I would just like put in a google doc I was like here's like five poems and I don't want to look at them so what if you looked at them <laughs> and she would go through and she'd be like yes we're going to take this one yes we're going to take this one I think this one's for a different collection you know those kinds of things so um I had the benefit of a teammate I guess yeah do you find that there's a because you also come from a performance world um do you find that for you your process is different writing for uh, a piece that you know will be used on stage versus a piece that's for a collection that's sort of complicated um i view everything i've written as something that can live on stage okay i think for me at least my poetry it lives out loud and it lives on the page at the same time. Um, that was actually one of my my lesson plans for my poetry students this past year is we did page versus stage mm -hmm. where I would find a written version of a poem uh, and then I would try and find a read version of the same poem or I would find a very like stereotypical page poem by a poet nice. and then I would try and find their most stereotypical like, performance poem. Um, but I try and make all of my poetry so that can live on stage. I I will say I recorded my audiobook yesterday, and there are a couple of congratulations. Uh, thanks. <laughs> there are a couple of erasure poems in my book, and I got to those. Uh, I got to those pages, and I was like, <laughs> I'm supposed to read this out loud. How, how do you record an audio version? I guess you, that's such a weird concept. An audio version of an erasure poem. I mean, all of the erasure poems have a like intent behind them. Like there was yeah. a reason I chose that specific text to make an erasure out of. So I approached it from intent and said, let's do it. <laughs> and I read it. <laughs> awesome. Uh, and you have a voice left today. Yeah. I, well, <laughs> it's not a long book. <laughs> but I think I drank like, so I have my Yeti with me. And I think I drank like these yesterday. <laughs> So uh, when I was competing and I'm not really competing anymore, I was on the national circuit for a really long time. Uh, there is a certain formula that successful poems follow. And I found that's when I was writing my most derivative work. Oh, okay. Um, and after I left the national scene and allowed myself to like, I don't have to write a poem where like, the first 20 seconds is funny and then there's a exposition and there there's a climax and then there's the hammer at the end you know like that kind of thing right um, i was actually writing work i like cared about more you uh, didn't have to sound like a poet when you yeah. uh yeah yes um but i do try and i i want this gets back to accessibility where I, yeah. I want all of my poems to be able to read aloud and I want all of my poems to be able to live in silence too. So. Ooh, I like that. Um, in your, uh, in your career as a, as a poet, um, what have been kind of those pitfalls and struggles along the way? Uh, what have you done with those? 
my biggest pitfall is me. Um, it's the cliche phrase of I am my own harshest critic and that's true, I am. Um, but I also have such an intense feel of fear of failure um, and such an intense fear of letting people down both real and imagined. And let me tell you that is a space I've been living in for the past few weeks since the book was released. <laughs> um, but it's kept me from, like there are so many, like the best poets are submitting everywhere and anywhere all the time, whether or not they think the poem's good, they're just getting it out there, they're just doing it. And I cannot tell you a single journal I've submitted to because I'm so afraid of the imagined rejection letter that I just don't even do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's always been me is my biggest pitfall. And I recognize it and I can look myself in the mirror and know exactly what's happening there. And also, I don't know, at some point it's between me and my therapist. <laughs> <laughs> so what you're saying is your therapist ends up with your best work. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> so if we yeah. were only to get those notes, and I imagine like lived experiences, how did you, I mean, yeah, that's, it's funny to, it's not funny, but the idea that like the therapist, because we all have, we all have our therapists and we all live in that real and imagined space for way too long. You know, it's interesting how much work gets lost uh, because we, we tell it to our, like tell it to our therapists and not instead of, you know, instead of our notebooks. You're like, I'm going to process this in a healthy way with the professional who's designed <laughs> to help me process it. And I don't write it down. Right. <laughs> I'm losing money. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're right. But there's been some stuff I've processed on the page and it sees neither the light of day or my therapist. It's just right. it's yeah. somewhere. <laughs> I mean, I've kept every poetry notebook I've ever had. There's like a, a, a space on my bookshelf where I just had, and it's the bookshelf that's in my office. It's not the public bookshelf. Oh um, <laughs> and sometimes I go back and I'm like, man, I was going through it. Now, how far back do they go? How old, how, how old were you when they started? I, wow. Um, I mean, the first poem that I wrote that like my mother kept and refers back to, I was probably like a fourth grader. Um, but I started seriously writing in high school, um, and I was in a band for a while. I played upright bass. Very cool. <laughs> um, but I like, you know, then you're 14 and you think you're a songwriter and then it, you know, that just translates to poetry anyway. Um, but the Ladder Than a Bomb program actually came to my school when I was a junior in high school. So that's a, that's a gift. Yeah. Wow. It is. I, I mean, I then went on to, I just ended an eight year tenure with the Nebraska Writers Collective working with Louder Than a Bomb students. So I spent a long, long time with the program. That's awesome. Very cool. Um, as we head toward the end here, what, what do you see, uh, what's super exciting on the forefront of poetry right now? What's, uh, or literature, what, uh, what's really, uh, what's really getting you going? And then, um, now that afterwards is in the world, uh, what is, uh, what can we expect? Uh, LTAB actually segs really nicely into my answer to this question because it's always, always, always what the youth are doing. 
that is always what is most exciting to me. Um, not even in the world of poetry anymore, right. but in the, just in the world. Um, it's what young people are doing. Um, young people who have access to information in a way that previous generations didn't. Um, the way I'm seeing different voices being prioritized because of that. Uh, you know, like I just moved from Nebraska, which is where I worked with an LTAP program and we just named our first youth poet laureate ever. Like seeing things Amazing. like that happening is, you know, watching Amanda Gorman on the inauguration stage, like that's what I'm excited about. Oh, amazing. Um, you know, I'm only 26 and I already feel like I've aged out of like being right. the new and exciting, <laughs> new and exciting youth poet. Um, so I think, and I wrote this a lot. Um, one of, when I, when they had me signing books, I rotated between like five different phrases, which I actually regret because I had to sign 250 copies. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to personalize all of these. <laughs> Um, you got to personalize all of this. I did. Yeah. Uh, and you know, some of those specific phrases ended up in the hands of people who needed to hear them. Yeah. I've had a couple people DM me on like Instagram or things like that. And I was like, that's exactly why I did it. Um, but one of the phrases I wrote in there was forward. Um, so afterwards is really a meditation on that space that you're in immediately following a tragedy or a trauma. Um, and I'm in a headspace and a heart space now where I'm ready to consider what happens in the forward. Like that. What happens in not even necessarily the future, but like discovering that forward momentum. What does it look like? Who does it involve? You know, all of those different things. Um, and I do think it's important to have had that meditation on afterward right. before I move into forward. But I think that's what's next. Hopefully I like that. Sometime soon I'll be able to like be on the stage again and like see people and read words out loud. Yeah. <laughs> Not right now. <laughs> well, we hope for that as well. Thank you so much for hanging out on TPQ20. Uh, and we really look forward to seeing what comes next from you. So forward. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Have a good one. You too. Thank you for listening to TPQ20. Please like, review, and subscribe.